grace and mercy and peace belong to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are a parent or a grandparent or a teacher, No doubt you have learned along the line that if a small child, or maybe a not-so-small child, finds a way to press your buttons, where you feel the, the blood starting to rush up to your head, and your breathing gets short, that at that moment it is imperative that you take some deep breaths and you take deep breaths from the bottom of your stomach. That has been advice that's been around for a long time, but now there's even science to back up why that's so helpful. When you take deep breaths from the bottom of your stomach, you are taking a full intake of oxygen. And as you breathe out, you are fully flushing out all the carbon dioxide and this process slows your heartbeat, it lowers blood pressure, it calms the mind, it even resets your brain waves from going like this to more on an even keel. It quiets areas of the brain that register anger and irritation. And because all of that is taking place, then you are able to promote and demonstrate patience. Patience. But God, of course, does not need to take deep breaths from the bottom of his stomach. But imagine the deep breaths you and I would need to take if you and I were in his place dealing with fallen humanity, dealing with you and me. Which brings us to a story from Jesus. A story that he tells about God's patience. Towards you and me. On the one hand, in this story of God's patience, there is a warning for us, a loving one. But also in this story of God's patience, there is for you and me profound comfort. Here's the setting for Jesus' story. It is, it is Tuesday before Jesus' appointment with the cross. Within a couple of days, he will be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Within three days, he will be on the cross, suffering and dying for our sins. He knows this. No one else yet at this point does. He's currently in the temple courts in Jerusalem. He has been speaking, really confronting calloused, hardened, self-righteous religious leaders. But now, 
he's speaking to the larger crowd that has surrounded him, and yet the religious leaders are still there listening in. And so in this setting, Jesus chooses to tell this story. He says, there was a landowner, planted a vineyard. And then this landowner invested a lot of time and care into this vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower for security. Then he rented this magnificent vineyard to some farmers, and then he moved to another place. He entrusted this wonderful place to other hands. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit, which was a standard operating procedure in those days. But Jesus continues this story. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. How did the landowner react? He sent other servants to them, Jesus says. More than the first time. The result, the tenants treated them the same way. And so after sending all these servants and they're being violently rejected, last of all, Jesus says, the landowner sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And so after this landowner had demonstrated patience and patience and more patience, each time each servant met only hardened, violent resistance, and even when he sent his son, they took him outside and they killed him. Once he concludes his story, Jesus then turns to the whole crowd and he asks, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? Well, the crowd quickly answers, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And with that, Jesus now starts to make connections with his point of the story. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Old Testament Scriptures? And then he quotes the Old Testament. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected. The, 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 the stone rejected by the leaders of God's people is Jesus himself. And Jesus himself will become the cornerstone of something new and marvelous of the New Testament church. But in all of this, he has a warning for all of his listeners. He's telling them that 
that your leaders, and, and when you follow along with your leaders, that if you are continually rejecting, rejecting, rejecting the Lord's calls to repentance, as so often happened throughout the centuries in the Old Testament, when God sent one prophet after another over hundreds and hundreds of years, the result often being sheer rejection of the message. But now Jesus says, the Son is here. The Son is here among you. And His warning is this. If you reject the Son, you are in grave danger of closing the door on God's patience once and for all. Brothers and sisters, although Jesus' warning here happens to be towards Jerusalem's religious leaders and those who follow them, the warning itself applies to all of us. You cannot put repentance on a calendar. You and I cannot approach life and saying, well, I want to do all the things that I want to do, and I'll do the important things, all the urgent things in life, and then when I have time, when I have the wherewithal, when I have some time to reflect, down here, years from now, I'll circle a little date when I'll do the religious thing more seriously. I'll get back in touch with the stuff I learned in Sunday school and it'll be good. Who is to say? Who is to say that by that time that faraway date actually arrives? Hardness of heart from months and years of habitually ignoring God, hardness of heart will have closed and locked the door on God's patience. And if that happens, my soul is lost forever. That is God's warning to you and me in this story. It's a warning of love, but it's a warning nevertheless. But in this story, there is also profound comfort. For if your fear is speaking to you, if Satan is whispering to you, if your fear is saying, it's been too long, there have been too many sins, too many failures, too many squandered opportunities, too many wasted years, too much distance in how far I have drifted away from my God. If that fear is speaking, remember the patience of the Lord your God. To my right, to your left, up on that wall, 
is a marvelous picture. Jesus knocking on the door. That is directly from the book of Revelation. Many times, many people assume that that picture depicts Jesus knocking on the door of, of an unbeliever. Not the case. When you look at the context from that passage in Revelation, He's not knocking on the door of an unbeliever. He's knocking on your door and mine. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. Come to repentance. Let the door be opened. Be cleansed. Be refreshed in the forgiveness I have purchased for you at Calvary's cross. And come home. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.